Hello and welcome to the Centennials Podcast. My name is Simon Carley and today I'm going to be taking you through all the exciting things that we've been doing in October 2018. So I'm going to start off with telling you a little bit about what we got up to as the St. Emelins team at the beginning of October. And that was the first St. Emelins live conference here in Manchester. Got a whole bunch of people together, some great delegates, some fantastic speakers. And we spent a whole day talking about the four pillars of emergency medicine as we see it from the St. Emelins world. So evidence-based medicine, excellence in critical care, well-being and the philosophy of emergency medicine, why we do and how we do the things that we do. A lot of fun. And we're going to release all of that information and all those presentations over the next few months so keep an eye on the blog keep an eye on our video and media streams and you'll hear a lot more about all of that so that's great more to come and in fact that's where i'm going to start this month i'm going to start with my presentation which we've not released the video of yet we're going to do that fairly soon but the blog is already up there and that's five things you can do to improve your resource and the idea behind this was that I wanted to give people something that they could take away from the conference that would be tangible and achievable by anybody. So, yeah, we can talk about some really high level stuff, which requires a lot of training and equipment. But actually, there are some really easy things that you can do, some really easy wins that can make a difference to the way that your teams work. So the first was the zero point survey. And we've already talked about this on the blog, but it's the concept that was originally started by Cliff Reed, who you'll know from Smack, And it talks about... Really the concept that the first part of your resuscitation starts from when you first hear about the patient. Not when you actually meet them, but when you hear about them. So either that's the standby phone going off or your dispatch to go and see the patient. And you've always got some information at that point in time that you can work with. And what Cliff has done is he's conceptualised and put into a, a concept that tells us what sort of things should be thinking about. So the pre-resuscitation phase, which I think is the most important, golden minutes when you're, when you're running a good resus, is to prepare yourself, you know, your physical readiness, are you safe, um, are you in the right frame of mind, have you been to the toilet, all of those really important things. And the team, do you have a team leader, have you identified who's doing what and are they competent to do them? So I have a big bugbear in my life, you know, are you happy to use a defib? Yes. Have you ever used this defib before? No. Well, that means you're not going to be using it today because this isn't a training session, this is a real thing. That kind of thing. So teams are really important about how they're going to work. And then the environment. Have you got it set up right? Can you see things? Is the ultrasound ready, turned on, gelled up, on the right setting? All of that sort of thing can be done. And then you can get your team together and you can predict what's going to happen. So if you see a patient coming through on the phone and they say that, OK, this is somebody who's got a broad complex tachycardia. Well, you can predict that you're likely to need to defibrillate that patient. You're likely to need to use some cardioactive drugs. So get them ready. Kind of makes sense. And then once resuscitation has commenced, you see the patient, you do your primary survey, and then you update the mental models. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. Re-identify your priorities and then repeat as the situation continues. So I think ZPS or the zero point survey is a brilliant idea. And I think we should all be doing it. So have a look at that. Number two of things which you can do next week, cost no money, is 10 in 10. And this is sort of related to ZPS. The concept is that every 10 minutes in a resuscitation, you take 10 seconds to stop, whatever you're doing, pretty much, take stock, reappraise the situation, and then tell the rest of the team. So rebuild the mental model. Because no resuscitation goes to plan. We know this. You know, things change. People do weird stuff. So taking a period of time to stop and do that. Does it have to be 10 minutes? No, it could be five minutes, but regularly. Does it have to be 10 seconds? No, it could actually be probably be 30 seconds, but the concept is there, 10 in 10, regularly stop, rethink as a team, rebuild as a team, replan as a team. Really easy to do, costs no money, and it works. Priority number three was 
fly the patient, and then think. Now, generally speaking, I'm not a big fan of aviation analogies. I, I just don't think they work for a lot of stuff in emergency medicine, but I like this one. And I picked it up when I did some work with training captains in the airline industry. Got a couple of friends who um, are pretty high up in, in the airline industry in training situations. And they pointed out to me that when you're on an aircraft, you have two pilots, the chief pilot and the co-pilot. When an emergency arises, it's the role of one pilot, usually the co-pilot, to just fly the damn plane, keep it in the sky. And you may be familiar with the idea of aviate, navigate, communicate. That's why. That works. But the point is, one person flies the aircraft so that the senior captain can work out how the hell do we get out of this problem and do the thinking, do the higher cognitive load, if you like. And there are some analogies like that in medicine. So in an ALS code, I think it's a really good idea to have one person who effectively just runs the algorithm keeps the patient alive, does the life support, whilst another person stands back and can make better decisions with more bandwidth about, is this a case for thrombolysis? Should we be thinking PE? Is this one for ECMO, if that's available to you? Should actually we be thinking about stopping here because this person is so frail? That's very difficult to do and keep your codes running to time. So separating those two things out and getting um, another physician or another nurse to run the code is a great way of doing this concept. And we've done this on several different things. And you can do it in trauma, you can do it in sepsis. It works best in cardiac stuff, it's most obvious, but think about that. It's a great idea and it works well in a prolonged recess. Number four was peer review, something we've talked about a lot on St. Emelins before. Peer review is really important. And the bottom line here is you don't know how good you are. You don't, you really don't. You, you have a, a view, I'm sure, and it's probably a very good one, but it's probably not real. We can't see ourselves as the rest of the world sees us. And it's important to get somebody who can do that for you. And I don't care what system you do. We talk about um, systems on the site and on the blog post about using a structured format where we can review back to a team leader's performance. And I think that's the, the group that I'm really interested in, people who are taking the lead roles in resuscitations. But getting somebody in to come and watch what you're doing is really important. And it benefits, this is really important, it benefits not just the person who's been watched, but also the person who's doing the watching because they learn so much. They learn about their own unconscious incompetences by watching you. So do that. Then finally, we talked about hot debriefs. And hot debriefs is a system we've taken from the team up in Edinburgh Emergency Department. They do really great innovative things. We've copied a lot of stuff of theirs over the years. And the idea is that, well, basically, we think debriefs are a good idea, but we don't tend to do them. So what they've done is they put together a very short five minute hot debrief system, which you can apply to lots of different situations. We've started doing this in my department now, and thus far the feedback has been very good, both from all, well, actually from all members of the team. So those are my five strategies, uh, the zero point survey, 10 and 10, fly the patient, hot debriefs and peer review, all of which are free. You can do them next week, you know, just go for it. There's another educational blog in October, again from me, based on a talk I did at the Royal Society of Medicine in London. And um, it covers some of the similar ground around peer review, but it was, it was really about how to teach and learn in a very stretched environment. When you're really busy, people imagine that you can't teach. Well, actually, that's not true. I put some data up on the website, which you might find interesting, that compares how our trainees in the UK rate their overall satisfaction with the training post. So how good, what's a global view of this post? What do you think about this post for training? And that, I think that's quite a good global measure of how people um, are enjoying their lives and, and learning. And then the GMC survey, which is where this data is from, actually looks at a whole bunch of other stuff. So like supervision, handover, access to study leave, um, all kinds of things like that. And whenever I've asked people, they've always said that workload is the major determinant of whether somebody enjoys a job. If it's too busy, it's not a good job. 
Well, we've punched the data and it's really interesting. I'll tell you now that work opportunities, so what people are exposed to and their ability to see patients who are relevant to what they do is the most important thing in overall satisfaction. It's got the, the strongest correlation. I'll tell you now, the second worst correlation is workload. Workload really has no correlation at all with how satisfied our trainees are in their training posts in emergency medicine in the UK. Surprised? Well, I guess you probably would be, but think about it. Actually, you know, most of our people want to learn, they want to see interesting stuff, and they want to be supported in that learning, and that's my point. You can work people really hard, and they will work really hard if you look after them. So there's a couple of ideas in here. Again, stuff which I brought from different areas. So we talk about post-it pearls, that's a really great idea. Basically, it means just writing stuff down as you go along through the day, interesting things, chucking on a wall somewhere. You can do this a whiteboard, you can do it with post-it notes. And again, we've started doing this in my department and the, you know, the trainees and the consultants really like it. It's pretty good. As uh, so we talked about post-it pearls, we talked about FOMED prescriptions. Um, I love this idea, I kind of invented it, I suppose. But the idea is, again, you'd be having a conversation with a trainee and you think that they've listened to everything you said and understood it. They probably haven't, it's just the way of the world. So what you do is you get your phone out and you search for a learning resource, like a FOMED resource or a blog post, which is relevant to what you're talking about. So maybe we were talking about lactate, and I can take them to the Lactate blog post by my friend Rich Carden, it's a great post on lactate. And then I can just press a little button at the bottom of the screen, which then takes it to email, and I can email it directly to them. So they have that like spaced repetition learning thing. Really powerful way of getting stuff to come across. And then we talk about the use of social media, stuff which you'll be familiar with about how we use things like WhatsApp groups and, and message boards to safely and with appropriate confidentiality talk about interesting cases. So if you are finding it difficult to teach in a busy environment, and we're all busy these days, have a look at that. There's some really great tips which I've brought in from other people. We then got a journal club post on cricoid pressure and RSI. Oh God, are we still going on about that again? Yes, I guess we are. Cricoid pressure has been controversial for a long period of time. And we at St. Emlyn's have taken a, what I think is a, uh, hopefully a relatively mature view that we are looking at the evidence and trying to gain some information out of that. Now, John Hines did a fantastic presentation about Cricolol. If I put the link up on the blog post, it's really funny. That really makes us question what has been established practice the use of cricoid pressure. But in terms of evidence, the evidence is, is, is largely that it probably does make laryngoscopy worse. But whether or not it's truly devastatingly harmful or in certain small groups of patients actually a benefit is still not entirely sure. Anyway, there's a quite a good paper um, published in JAMA this month where they took, I think, over, yeah, over 3,400 patients and randomised them to Cricord or not. Now, the, this is in the operating room, so it's not in the ED, and that's, that's an important limitation for us. But interestingly, they didn't really find, well, actually, it was a non-inferiority trial, but they didn't find... Um, any discernible difference between the two. Now, there are some criticisms with this paper, it's interesting, but to me, it again lends the idea that we don't have to do cricoid pressure in all circumstances, but, you know, quite frankly, and I think it was said on Twitter by some of our anaesthetic colleagues, that they were faced with a patient who's got significant small bowel obstruction, and they're at very high risk of aspiration. I can kind of see a reason why you might want to use it. In routine cases and in others where you think laryngoscopy may be difficult, you're probably going to make it worse by giving cricoid then? Probably not. I guess what I'm saying is make an informed decision and don't be just doing something because it's popular or you've read it on Twitter or you just heard it from a podcast like this. So make an informed decision and be a clever doctor. 
Okay, so where do we go next? We've got um, first of four posts on the Feminine Conference um, held in New York from Natalie May. I'll let you read those. The Feminine Group are amazing. Have a check of their website. It is about women in emergency medicine, but it's not just for women at all. There is loads of cracking stuff on there. Um, some brilliant stuff. And Natalie's um, actually, I think she's now released her presentation on why we shouldn't use the word sexy in emergency medicine and more of that to come next month. Great stuff. There's some brilliant stuff on there. So go and have a quick look at that. It'll make more sense. But have a look at the full series where they're going to be coming out over the next couple of months. And then lastly, in no, in October, almost last, almost last, we have Natalie's keynote presentation from St. Edmunds Live on the pursuit of excellence. Based on her experiences working in the UK, now working in Australia, working in retrieval, working in paediatric emergency medicine. She's got a lot of experience. And so this is about the journey, about not just what you learn, but how you learn and how you work in an environment with colleagues who can help you become, hopefully, as good as you possibly can. So that's up there. It's got the blog post, it's got the narrative, and it's got the video up there. I think the thing that I took away from her talk in her presentation is how important it is to not be an island in emergency medicine or medicine in general in that if you want to be as good as you can be if you want to reach in um, self-actualization then essentially what you're going to have to do that is find a group of people who you can work with who you can reflect with who you can learn from and with and who can support you in the tough times in the good times and basically work together and that relates back to what I was talking about before. You know, have no idea how good you are, but you need the people around you to help you achieve what you can possibly achieve, or as you like, self-actualization is the posh word. So finally, there's another installment from Rusty Carroll on his journey through PTSD. Uh, this month, looking at some of the therapies, um, some of which are quite novel about eye movement uh, therapies, which are now approved by NICE. I know there's a number of people who listen to the podcast who've had difficult experiences during their career who'll be very interested to see that latest instalment, and there's more to come in that. So that concludes October. As I say, we've got loads of interesting stuff coming up in November and beyond. We are going to be releasing the stuff from St. Anne's Live. We'll hear more about the Teaching Co-op course, which again was fabulous. Really enjoyed it. Brilliant people. Wonderful to have them together with us here in Manchester. And you know what? We might even do it again. In the meantime, have fun, enjoy your emergency medicine.